Oh, that was good. That was really good. I know we were meditating when I heard a cell phone drop. <laughs> we're getting pretty comfortable. Well, Hope Church, it's a joy um, to get into this text, get into the Word of God together. Um, there was a message that I had given when I was in youth ministry, um, and it was probably about 15 years ago. My brother-in-law, Felix, um, he probably was there at the time, and it was actually on Matthew 23, and it was uh, where Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees. And um, I remember that my title was, I See a Pharisee. So the first thing that I did, I said, guys, before we get into this sermon, I want us to take a minute and look around. So everybody look around. Look around, and I want you to, on the count of three, to count out, count, uh, or to point out the biggest Pharisee that you see in this room. One, two, three. And then everybody's like, ha, 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 and they're pointing to each other. They're pointing to their friends. They're pointing to, uh, to the person in the front row. They're pointing to the, you know, the kid that always gets blamed for everything. Um, and they're pointing to all the junior high kids in the front. And, and then all of a sudden I see three or four kids pointing at me. <laughs> and I realize, oh, man, they're pointing at me. i got to deal with this. <laughs> I was not expecting that because the whole point of it well, actually, I was expect, expecting it because the whole point of it is I was pointing to myself. I was the biggest hypocrite in that room. Um, I realized that a lot of times in my youth ministry days, it was all about me being the number one preacher, pastor, teacher, getting the likes and getting all the Facebook posts and getting all these lives changed because I wanted to be that person that would just earn the applause because I thought that that would actually earn me favor with the Lord. And so there would be times in which I would preach and I would do certain things not to point the attention to God, but to point the attention to me. And it took um, so much, uh, so much uh, Humility, and, it t- and it's continuing to take more of that because I realized that I was the biggest sinner and the biggest hypocrite um, and that I needed forgiveness and I needed to come face to face with my own sin. And it took the, the loving and, 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 and convicting words from my youth pastor at the time and uh, for them to gently, when I messed up big time on a sermon and I, 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 I did something that was just uh, brought so much attention to me. They saw right through that, and then they got down to me, and they set me aside, and they lovingly said, you know what, you took the only glory away that was reserved for God, and you took it for yourself. And it was, I'll never forget that, because that was the time in which my life, my sin, was just unraveled like an onion. For the first time, I didn't realize that I, I didn't think that I was like the big man on the street, but I was a man who was a sinner and a person who just needed so much more sanctification and growth in my own life. This passage leaves us kind of hanging and leaves us with a sense of, oh man, if we're all the biggest hypocrites, what, what is, where's the hope in our lives? Where's the hope that comes with that? Because I see my own sin and God sees our own sin. I hope you do come to a place where God graciously shows you his, your own sin for his glory and for your good. But we're going to take a look at that, about what Jesus said 
where does hypocrisy start from? And it starts from the heart. And so I want to invite you to back to your scriptures in Matthew chapter 15, uh, 1 through 9. And we're going to talk a little bit about where hypocrisy starts from. Hypocrisy starts from the heart, and it's not in the outward appearances. It's not in uh, the things like ceremonial that they had to do. See, this is what was happening. There was a delegation of Pharisees and scribes that came to Jesus. And they came from Jerusalem all the way out because they had heard some things about Jesus. But they're not pointing out anything let's say biblical, they're pointing out some things that were really more in line with their man-made tradition. The halakha, the commentary on the scriptures and not the scriptures themselves. And so, and so they ask, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And you might be saying, well, what's wrong with washing their hands? I have to tell my kids 10 times to wash their hands. And even th- if they do, it's like usually my, my son just turns on the faucet and just, you know, puts his fingertips in there and then comes out and calls it hand washing. It, we, we understand that hand washing is a good thing. What were they talking about here? Well, this was um, ceremonial hand washing. And along the way, Uh, rabbis and scribes had debated about scripture and they had added on a commentary about the scriptures and added on all these extra biblical rules and um, traditions. Um, For example, making sure that you uh, wash your hands before you go ceremonially into worship God at the temple. And so they had, but that, that went on further. That's probably a good thing. We probably want to have clean hands in a, in, a, in, a, in a pandemic world. And back in the first century, I'm pretty sure that was a good thing because there was, um, there was, there was a lot of epidemics and sicknesses everywhere. But the issue was where they were elevating these to the level of the scriptures. And they had things where if you washed one of your hands with one cup, that was okay. But if you washed both of your hands with one cup, that was not okay. And you were not ceremonially clean. But Jesus here is, is, is going after them, and he answered them, and he said, wait a minute. You guys are elevating the, scripture, the, the man-made traditions and these ceremonial rules that has no foundation in the scriptures. And so they, they, they called on him and said, your disciples break the traditions of the elder. They do not wash their hands when they eat. Look at Jesus' response. And he answered them, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Jesus goes back and turns the tables on them and basically says, hey, it's actually the other way around. Why do you use your tradition to go and violate the word of God? We see there's two main commandments here. They're pretty easy to read. One of those things is uh, in, in Deuteronomy, honor your father and your mother, right? And then also, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. This is talking about making sure that we honor our elders and especially our aging parents and to be able to honor their authority and to be able to step in when they do need 
help. But what they were, what Jesus was so incensed by was that they were so blinded to their own hypocrisy that they were using their own man-made traditions to circumvent the word of God. And what they were doing was that they were, the, for the sake of their tradition, they were saying that um, if, if, if the older parent needed help and they went around to their kids and, and they asked, hey, kids, I, I need some help. I need some financial help. I'm struggling here. I'm in between jobs. Well, the Pharisees would put in a loophole. And they said, according to our man-made tradition and our law, here's what you can do. In order to get around that, all you have to say is one code word. You know what that code word was? Korban. Everybody say korban. Korban. And what would you say when you said korban? And korban was a word that basically meant that, hey, I'm taking that money that I would have helped uh, the parents out uh, when they were in their old age, and I'm going to gift it to God. I'm going to dedicate it to God. So, sorry, it's being dedicated to God. It's off limits. And so that became a loophole for, these, uh, for, the, for people to basically get out of the scriptural injunction to take care of their aging parents. And the worst thing of it was not only that, but also they never necessarily had to follow through on their commitment. They could go ahead and just say, yeah, I, I'm going to give all this money. I'm going to dedicate it to God. But it was never, they were never held accountable to give this money. So they could give it now, they could give it on deathbed, or could they could never give it at all. And so what Jesus was so incensed was that they were giving an appearance that they were holier than thou, that they were givers, right? And they gave to the temple and look at me, I've given my life savings, so then therefore I don't have to care for my parents. And Jesus is just enraged. And this is the first time that we see Jesus calling out um, the Pharisees as hypocrites. Back in the day where hypocrisy came from is actually on the theater when people would actually wear uh, masks and double masks to hide uh, their true appearance and to put it on another face, another facade. And that's kind of where uh, the, the, the word hypocrisy comes from. It comes from being literally double-faced. And this is where Jesus is getting incensed and he says to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus is saying, guess what? True purity, true following me is not about the outward appearance. It's not about ceremonial washings. It's not about eating kosher foods. It's not about going to Whole Foods all the time instead of Kroger. It's not about going about and going and doing the religious thing. It's not about checking off a checklist and saying that I went to church or I sat under this rabbi or I sat under this teaching. It is not a religious outward exercise that brings true purity. Jesus says it's not about those things, but what it is, it's about purity in the hearts. And this was something that they should have picked up on because that's all over in the scriptures. Turn with me to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, and we see this as, as a reminder to us and hopefully an encouragement to you all. 
Psalm 24. Verses uh, 3 through 6. The psalmist declares and asks, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And he who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Friends, if you've been here and you've been tired of religion or tired of feeling like you have to play the church game or tired of feeling that you have to measure up to a certain um, level of spirituality or you feel like you've got to clean up and be a certain person that you are not, that's as far of what spiritual and what Christianity is because Isaiah had prophesied this. What good is it for you to follow the traditions of man but yet your hearts are far from me? Jesus wants your heart. He wants his thir- your thirst for him. He wants your joys. He wants your life. He wants you, not for what you can do for him. And this is what Jesus is so incensed about because the Pharisees are just got Christian or just got their relationship with God all wrong. And they're chasing after all these ceremonial washings and, and do this and do this and eat this. And Jesus is so clear because, and he's so saying that this is vital because look at pa- uh, chapter 15. He actually brings everybody together with him. He calls the people to him in verse 10 and said to them, hear and understand. Is it not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person? And so he's saying that this is so vital that you understand this. He gets everybody together and he says, hear and understand. Isn't it so interesting that he doesn't just say hear, but he says hear and understand? In other words, process this. Stop and wait. Don't go on with your ideas about who, who God is and what he, you think he res- expects of you, but go and listen to the scriptures and see what God expects of you. He expects a pure heart, one who has not sworn deceitfully, has not lifted up his, uh, his eyes to other idols, a heart that seeks him. It's not anything that goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. But unfortunately, the disciples, they didn't get it, right? And they said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? See, they were so concerned about the praises of man. And don't don't get me wrong, the Pharisees, they were the leading, you know, they were the leading church or the um, the, the leading authority at their time. You know, it's, it makes sense that they were just feeling like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, I think you kind of went off the, the deep end a little bit. You've made these guys angry with us. Don't you know you offended them? But see, the disciples, they were so caught up with the praises of man that they forgot about that the most important thing was the praise of God. 
Look at what Jesus says. He doesn't even answer that. He answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. He was say, saying that these Pharisees were so hardened, they were so stuck and so wrapped up in their traditions, right? But they were a foregone conclusion. There was no hope for them. They were not one people that the Heavenly Father had planted, and they will be rooted up. In other words, God has not given them the regeneration, the eyes to be able to see because their hearts were so hardened before God. And so let them alone, they're blind guides. Let the blind lead the blind, both are gonna fall into a pit. In other words, don't mind them. Go back to your hearts. And Peter says, and I love Peter because he's always ex- trying to ask for more explanations. He's probably the, the bold one out of the group who actually admits that, I don't get what you're saying, Jesus. I need to know. Um, so, hey, I didn't really catch one. Explain that for me. And it's, 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 bad. it's kind of fun because he gets the kind of the butt in. He gets a lot of rebukes. <laughs> uh, I see Jesus and he's saying, are you still without understanding? <laughs> I love that. And... Um, because sometimes we are hard-headed ourselves. Amen? Um, do you not see that whoever, whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Again, Jesus is saying, it's not about your outward appearances. It's not about what you do for God. It's who you are, and in your heart, are you seeking after God? Is he your joy? Is he your strength? Even in your depression and your struggles and in your fears, is Jesus your joy? And so... We're not seeing anything new from the Old Testament. But Jesus is saying, it's not about having clean hands outside. The biggest question is, how does your heart look on the inside? And isn't it interesting that he front loads this passage by this? But what comes, uh, for out of the heart, verse 19, come evil thoughts. And then after that comes the so-called big sins, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Isn't it really interesting that, you know, whenever we look at lists in the New Testament, or even in the Old Testament, we're quick to tune out because we're like, this doesn't really apply to this. I haven't killed somebody last night, or lately, or ever in my life, hopefully, and, um, and I haven't committed grand auto thefts. Um, I haven't gone out and slandered the mayor. <laughs> I haven't gone out and, 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 and uh, uh, I wouldn't be in the same category as sexual immorality. You know, we would just, we take through and we scan things and then we just like ace ourselves out. But I love this because, and this convicts me so much. What stood out to me is not those things. It's actually the first thing, evil thoughts. <laughs> Jesus, he is a master storyteller but also he's a master expositor of our hearts. And he's basically telling us, is there any of you without evil thoughts? I can look at my own mind 
and spot some right away, even some today. For me, it was like, Micah, why are you screaming your head off? Please be quiet. And that's a very nice version of what I said in my head. <laughs> you know, but for you, it, I don't know, there could be some thoughts of like, oh, but that neighbor, he parked right in front of me again and he parked on my side and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna rip him. <laughs> or man, those Astros fan, no, I'm just, I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> um, or man, that coworker, he did that again. He took the credit for my work. Or man, that church member, what business does he have saying and saying that to me? I don't think any of us are short of evil thoughts. And I think this is a really good time, just as what Daniel was mentioning, just for us to really just remember that when we see a Pharisee, that the first person is probably going to be me. And for you, it'll be you. And it's a good lesson in our hearts to be saying, this is the true issues of our life, evil thoughts. And if we just stop there, we would realize that we are under judgment for the things, not only what we do, but the things that we say. Not only the things that are against people, but what have we said to the Lord that has been less of the perfection that he is, right? That's also another definition or another example of sin, of not giving God the glory due to his name and not honoring him and glorifying for the most glorified God that he is. And so it's just a really encouraging, but yet a very convicting time of like, Lord, I have evil thoughts, and I can't even imagine adding all these other things on there because Jesus says, if you've committed lust in your hearts, you've already committed adultery. If you've looked at somebody with uncontrolled anger, then you've actually murdered your brother or your sister. Um, Sexual immorality, what one of us has not fallen into uh, anything of fantasies or immorality? What of us that have we not stolen the glory that was only due to God? What one of us has not given false witness to God because of our fear and we've failed to glorify God by sharing the gospel with somebody? How many of us have slandered in our hearts or to people and this would become crushing down and we would have no hope? No hope. These are what defile a person. We have more issues than unwashed hands. But I thank Jesus because he's the only one who can deal with our hearts. And he's the only one who said and has taken upon the iniquities of us all. He's the only one who can handle the hotness and the sinfulness and the evil in our hearts. When we were under judgment, God took that and he sent Jesus Christ down to live his perfection, live the life that we could not live, and died the death that we should have died, and that he rose again on the third day so that we can live knowing that Jesus Christ has crucified this list in this past list, the present list, and the future list of our sins, and he has crucified it and nailed it on the cross for his glory 
Because he is a God who can save and rescue us from ourselves. Amen? That's the gospel. That's the good news for all those who repent of their own strivings, their own ways of trying to get out of this, trying to get out of our own hearts. And Jesus says, I'm here to give you a new heart. I'm here to give you a new, uh, new mind. I'm here to give you new joys. I'm here to give you new desires. And I'm here to give you a new kingdom. Come, come to me, all who are you weary and heavy and laden and burdened, and I will give you rest, and I will give you joy, and I will give you forgiveness. That is the good news of the gospel. And not only that, we also have the good news, because at Hope here, we don't, we don't stop short. If, 